This is our last um, of our studies on the wiles of the devil. Now, there would be other things that maybe in the future we're going to come back and look at because of what these teachings mean to us. There's, there's two sides to this. I have had friends that saw a devil in every bush. And no matter what happened, it was always the devil. I have also had other people who never acknowledge the satanic warfare that's going on. What I am hoping to do is to present what the Apostle Paul did through the epistles as he was teaching us, and specifically this book of Ephesians, as it talks about how we can have victory and understanding the victory that we have and the warfare that's going on. Um, so we have looked at what are some things that Satan wants to do in our lives. First of all, he wants to make us ignorant of God's will and God's word. We do that two different ways, either by just not paying attention to what God says or by adding to what God says and beginning to say things that God didn't say. And I have this happen all the time. Well, you can't do that. God says you can't do that. And my answer is, show me in the scriptures. It's God's word that's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And you ought to be able to have faith in what your pastor says, but the way you're confident that what your pastor says is accurate is always go back to the scriptures. If I say things that are not scripture, and I'm telling you that it is, please come up and talk with me because I don't intend to do that. If I do, it's not an intentional thing where I'm hoping to slip something past you. Always feel free. The scriptures always are foundation. Satan wants to make you ignorant of God's word and God's will. Then Satan also will come to us and he wants to make us impatient with God's will. Remember how Peter says, after you've suffered a while, strengthen, establish you. You know, there are times in our lives when there is suffering that comes into our lives and God is using this for our good. And we are impatient and saying, God, you've got to make this happen now. Fix this now. As Job did. There are times when we become independent of God's word and God's will. And we aren't thinking, Lord, nevertheless, thy will be done. We're thinking, how can I make this work? Pastors are guilty of this. Churches are guilty of this. Individual believers are guilty of this. And we become pragmatic and we just try to figure out how can we make this happen? But tonight, we're going to look at the fourth one. So ignorance of God's word and will, impatience with God's word and will, independence of God's word and will, from God's word and will, 
And the last one is indicted, just to follow the eyes, where we are so crushed with guilt that we don't function. If you're ignorant of God's will, you don't function the right way. If you are impatient with God's will, you don't function the right way. If you are independent of God's will, you don't function the right way. And if you are indicted, if you are feeling this overwhelming pressure, you will not be able to do God's will. Zechariah chapter 3. Now, if you look in Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah is presenting a message. This is now at the end of the Babylonian captivity. They are now trying to rebuild. So you've got several prophets here at the end of the Old Testament, and chronologically they are near the end. It's already into they've returned from exile. And as the Lord is speaking to Zechariah, he begins in verse 2, and he says, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. And at the very beginning, we have this word of the Lord, where God tells Zechariah, I want you to tell them something. And he says, therefore, verse 3 of chapter 1, Say thou unto them, Turn ye unto me, and I will turn unto you. And as I was going through this, I was just amazed at all that we learn about the Lord. We learn about the word of the Lord. God wants us to know what he says. Second of all, God is faithful. He says, if you will turn unto me, I will turn unto you. For some reason, we we want to build up these walls and we want to say, God's just not listening. God's not going to hear me. God will not come back. I can't come back to God. God's not going to accept me. And notice what he says. He says... Turn ye unto me, and I will turn unto you. Then there is a warning of the Lord. Verse 4, be not as your fathers. He says, turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. He's going to describe a number of things. But the exciting part is, is as you begin looking at all these things about the Lord, you see the word of the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord, the warnings of the Lord. We come to chapter 3, and this is unlike all the other things we've looked at. The other three, one was in the Garden of Eden, one was um, in, in the eastern lands, one was there in Israel. But now this one is really a court case that's taking place in heaven. And you see, you've got Joshua, who is sitting there, and you'll see Joshua says nothing. And you have the defense, who is at the right hand of the Father. And you have Satan, who is to the right of the defendant. And this court case that you're going to see here before you tonight, Zechariah says, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, 
The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua, who was a high priest, was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And he, and unto him, unto Joshua, he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a mitre, a fair mitre upon his head, which is a hat. A mitre is a hat. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by, and the angel of the Lord protested to Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord, If thou wilt walk in my ways, if thou wilt keep my charge, and thou shalt also, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. That's really important. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. What I want you to notice here is we have this, this scene put before us that is an indictment. You've got Israel who's just gone through 70 years of captivity. They have been judged for all the wickedness they had done, and they come home, and you would think that after being in judgment for all those 70 years, they would come back and they would live a great life. And the answer is, they did not. They came back, and you see that men were divorcing their wives and were marrying heathen women. You see, businessmen were taking advantage of their fellow people and, and were stealing from them. You see that the priests had put themselves out for profit and they were out for the highest bidder. And as you read through the things that were happening during this time, you see that the high priest, who was always to be wearing clean garments because he, reckoned, he was the one who symbolized holiness to the Lord. You see the high priest here does not have clean garments. He's all dirty and he is shamed and he is guilty. And Satan is there accusing, and Satan is saying, God, you say you're holy. God, you say that your word is true. This man and this nation should be judged again. And based on your character, God, you need to judge these people. And you see the Lord Jesus Christ who says, Nah, Satan, is not this someone that I have plucked from the fire. What I want you to notice is there is no mention that Joshua as the high priest for all of Israel, that he did anything that was worthy of what God would do to forgive. This is all about what God does. This is all about how God defended. And you want, I want you to notice beginning at verse 
uh, 1 of chapter 3, he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his uh, right hand to resist him. Do you know, guilt often keeps us from wanting to accept God's forgiveness. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about how do you know the difference between when Satan is trying to indict you and Satan is causing you to feel guilty and when the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction so that you will change your ways. You ever wonder which it is? Have you always just felt so guilty you never really thought about where it was coming from, but it paralyzed you to where you didn't feel like you could serve the Lord anymore? If you knew what my past was, if you knew what I have done, if you knew, you wouldn't like me. You wouldn't let me serve. You wouldn't let me do anything. Well, here we have this high priest, Joshua, and what Jesus is offering is forgiveness and blessing and restoration. I find it interesting that here we find Joshua and Satan rebuked by God's mercy and God's grace. And we find defense from the Lord. We've seen the word of the Lord. We've seen the faithfulness of the Lord. We've seen the warning of the Lord. I want you to notice now the defense from the Lord. It's the Lord that comes to Joshua's defense. It's the Lord that says, hey, I have redeemed this one. I've plucked this one out of the fire. This one is mine, and you have no right to him, Satan. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If we sin, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. We see this, this illustration in Zechariah being played out in 1 John. And he's telling us, he says, look, tonight when we feel so burdened and we feel so guilty and we feel so paralyzed and Satan is indicting us and saying, you have no right to do this. You've done these things in the past. And we stand there and there is nothing we can say. We stand there dirty. And we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who comes alongside us and he pleads our case he finished his work here on earth and he went to heaven to complete the work that he does every day in our behalf so we have satan who comes to indict and we have god who defends and we go on and we read and he answered and spake unto uh, spake unto those that stood by him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him, and unto him, unto Joshua, he says, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. Do you see what's taking place here? Everything about this whole scene is God doing it. It's not us trying to earn. It wasn't Joshua trying to earn his way back to God. It wasn't Joshua trying to somehow do something to make up for all the things that he was doing wrong or that the, that the nation was doing wrong. He says, I'm going to put clean clothes back on you. I'm going to restore you. He says, I'm going to put this miter on your head. And what you need to understand, if you go back to Exodus chapter 28, verse 36 and 37, you will find that as he was dressing the priest, 
he put on him this hat and then they engraved on a plate and it said holiness to the Lord. And that was strapped to his hat and when he walked, it was a reminder to all this man has been set apart for the Lord. And here with Joshua, you know what he was saying? He was saying, I'm going to take your dirty clothes. I'm going to give you clean clothes. You don't have to buy them. I'm going to put the hat back on you, and I'm going to put the mark on you. This is mine. He's separated unto the Lord. Satan does not want you to recognize that because of what Jesus Christ has done, you are forgiven. You are cleansed. Think with me for just a moment. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, what do we know about what God's promises? He is what? He is faithful and he is just. He is faithful and he is just. You can depend on what the Lord has done. He's faithful. People aren't always faithful. He is faithful and he is just. He is righteous. He will make this happen. And so often Satan says, now, do you really know that you've been forgiven? Do you really think you've done this enough? Have you gone through this enough? Have you? And you... I felt that. I'm assuming some of you have as well. And the reality is, my forgiveness is based on God's character. He is faithful and he is just to forgive me and to, what's the next word? Cleanse me. I am clean. And when we meet together, think of how that liberates us. Think of how that takes this pressure off of us when we recognize that God's forgiveness is sufficient. And Satan comes and he's going to try to tell you that you're such a bad sinner that you can't be used. And the answer is, yes, I'm a bad sinner. Yes, there's no way I could ever be used, but I have been plucked from the fire. I am one that has been set apart. I am one of God's children, and Jesus Christ pleads my case with his wounds. He says, this man has been paid for. This woman has been paid for. I would submit to you that behind every wrong, behind every sin is a wrong view of God. Can you think of any sin in the Bible that didn't have a wrong view of God? Starting with Eve. What did Satan do? He wanted her to have a wrong view of God. Oh, God's holding out on you. God's not good. In every case. So... What are we now as believers? We often think, oh, I can't be forgiven. What's behind that? A lie about God. That he's not faithful and just. He won't do as he said. And we look at that and we say, yeah, but then he got off scot-free. Who's going to make that person pay? And the answer is Jesus Christ paid. And he paid dearly. He shed his own blood on the cross so that I could have forgiveness of sins. Yeah, but what about those rascals in the church? Who's going to make them pay? Jesus Christ paid. 
we get a wrong view of God and it changes the way we treat one another. Now, let, let me give you, repentance is a change of mind about God. So, remorse focuses on me. Repentance focuses on God. Classic examples. So you've got these different ones. You've got Abraham who lied about who his wife was and how his lie even impacted his nephew. As, as his nephew, he took his nephew down into Egypt and his, his nephew sees all these things and what happens when they come back out of it, where does he want to go? He wants to go to Sodom. He wants the best of the best. Oh, there's always consequences for sin, but what I want you to notice is, is that God forgave Abraham. God forgave David. God forgave as we walk through the scriptures. And then we come to a man named Peter. He denied the Lord. What was his repentance like? He had a changed view of God. And God used him. Then you have a man named Judas. And what did he do? He had remorse. His whole focus was on himself. You know, Satan, when we are, the one way you can really tell, is this from God or is this from Satan, is what's the focus? If the focus is all on me, what a wicked, horrible person I am, I want you to know that's going to be paralyzing because there's nothing I can do about it, and that's an attack from Satan. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, and there is repentance, and what does it do? He draws us back to the Lord. Any kind of conviction that is of the Lord draws us to God. Any, anything that makes us feel distant from God is going to be the attack by Satan. Satan's accusations focus on you. Holy Spirit conviction focuses on God. If we confess our sin, he is faithful. He will keep his promise. And he is just. He paid the total price. And we like that for ourselves, but we often don't like that for other people because we feel like they're getting off. I love this. In verse 7, we find an opportunity from the Lord. He says, you can be used to serve the Lord. Here was a man who should have kept it right. He didn't. He blew it. He was a focal point in Israel. He was dirty. God had to cleanse him. And then God says, if you'll walk in my ways, if you'll keep my charge, if you'll judge my... Then He said, if you'll walk in my ways and keep my charge, he said, then you'll be able to judge my house and keep my courts. And I'll give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Do you know there's an opportunity to serve the Lord if we will just listen to what he says? I am so excited about what God can do in this body. You see, he brings an imperfect person to come and lead you. To lead a group of imperfect people. So that he will receive the glory. It's very humbling when you recognize I'm not in this position because I'm anything special. I'm in this position by the grace of God. Totally changes. So how am I going to treat you? 
I'm going to treat you the way my God would want. This isn't mine. And how are we going to treat one another? And how are we going to come alongside each other? See, there's an opportunity from the Lord here. Now, I want you to notice at the end of verse 8, there is encouragement from the Lord. I talked about this on Sunday, and I'm going to keep driving this home, and that is notice the eschatology. Notice how the study of the last things totally changes the way we look at our current circumstances. He says, For behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. What passage of Scripture does that Ring a bell with anybody? There will be a root. It's the passage we often read at Christmas. It's the promise that out of Judah there's going to come this root, this tree, this branch is going to come. And you notice how it's all in caps. What is he telling you? He says, don't lose heart. The Messiah is coming. You're on the winning side. And it is our eschatology that drives us to our faithful service because we know the victory has been won. And when we say, oh, I have no idea what's going to happen in the future, we do God a disservice. Oh, yes, there are some disagreements. People will say, well, maybe, maybe it's this way. And someone else says, well, I don't know, maybe it's kind of this way. We're talking about little bitty minuscule things. The big picture never changes, and that is Jesus is coming back, and Jesus is going to rule and reign, and Jesus is going to defeat Satan, and he is going to reclaim everything that Satan stole and restore all. Praise God. Praise God. That ought to drive us to joyful service, and it ought to give us confidence to serve him today. And then at the very end, verse 10, we read, In that day, saith the Lord God of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. We see peace comes from the Lord. What I've so enjoyed just as I was reading this passage, you know, the focus is what does Satan want to do? Satan wants to make you feel so guilty that you don't serve. He wants to make you feel indicted. The Holy Spirit comes along and he brings conviction because he wants to bring you back to relationship. We ought to walk away. You know, there are going to be times in a church service each of us are going to feel convicted. But that conviction ought to draw us close to our Father and say, I'm sorry. Thank you for being such a wonderful God. Thank you for being so patient with me. Thank, thank you for what you've done. Rather than feeling like God hates me. If, I, if I've given you the impression when I'm preaching that God hates you, I've given you the wrong impression of God. God's holy. That reminds me, I don't want to live this way. God is just. He cannot overlook sin. But God is loving. And God is gracious. Full of compassion. And when Satan comes at your door and he's knocking and he's saying, you did this, there's no hope for you. Understand, that's not the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit comes alongside and he convicts and he focuses on the Father. 
See the difference? If not, just ask the Holy Spirit this week, as you think about what you know about God, and you think about the temptations of Satan, what you know about Satan, and then you start looking at these two differences, and you'll walk away with a grateful heart for what a great God you serve. That's the reason why, as we're studying Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. God gives you the armor that you need. And he says, just put it on. And my fear was, as I was teaching that and I was looking at the responses, it's like, yeah, we need to put the armor on. I got some flannel graph. We can do that. We've got some plastic armor we'll put on and everyone will take a look at it and we're going to walk out and we haven't thought about the importance of every day putting on the armor. Now, Lord willing, this Sunday, I'm still back and forth, either this Sunday or next Sunday, it will be either real soon or maybe this Sunday, we're going to look at the last two things that are mentioned in that text and we're going to talk about how do you put on the armor. It's one thing to know you've got the armor. It's, it's one thing to say, I've got it in my trunk. It's another thing to say, it's sitting here by my bed. It's another thing to say, I know I need to put on the armor, but how do you put on the armor? Lord willing, we're going to get to that. But unless you recognize why you need the armor, Satan wants to steal every bit of joy out of your life. He wants to steal what you have been so blessed with and the inheritance you've been given. Let's pause there. Let me just say, I am thankful for our children. Don't, don't ever get frustrated with our children. I'm grateful that we have children. And I'm grateful for parents that hold them down. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. Okay, prayer, uh, prayer request. Can I read this hymn to you? This is from Charles Wesley. And I love this. You can get your prayer sheets out. Listen to this. Depth of mercy. Can there be mercy still reserved for me? Can my God his wrath forbear me, the chief of sinners, spare? I have long withstood his grace, long provoked him to his face, would not hearken to his calls, grieved him by a thousand falls. Lord, incline me to repent. Let me now my sins lament. Now my foul revolt deplore. Weep, believe, and sin no more. Still for me the Savior stands, holding forth his wounded hands, God is love, I know. I feel Jesus weeps and loves me still. Unconfessed sin in our lives is a foothold that Satan uses. He beats you up with it. He beats me up with it. All we need to do is confess. He is faithful.
he can be trusted. He keeps his promises. And he is just. He took the punishment. Okay. Thank you for letting me read that. I just had so enjoyed that earlier today, I, and then I totally overlooked it. Any prayer requests you would like added to the sheet tonight? Yes, Luke. Well, last night I punched something wrong at gym. Okay. And I tore a couple muscles, so that, yeah, I feel good. Yeah. So pray for healing for Luke. He's about to go to camp, and he's going to need every muscle he's got. Anybody else? This has been a unique week for Cindy and me. Um, we had two dear friends die this week. One man, it was so, so exciting to see him grow in the Lord when we were in Iowa. He was a man who never was comfortable to pray out loud. He was very uncomfortable talking about his salvation and to see God do a marvelous work in his life. And uh, he had a heart attack and died. That funeral is Monday. And then two nights ago, Monday night, Tuesday morning, had a man that is 62, 63, somewhere in there. No, 66. Curtis loved to serve the Lord. He would do whatever he could for you. There was a man that he worked with that had water problems around his house, and he and a buddy got a track hoe, and they were cleaning stuff up around it, and they realized they didn't quite get the drainage right. They were taking out a tree, and something awful happened with the equipment, and it fell on Curtis and killed him. And that funeral will be a, a week from tonight. And if you would just really be in prayer, here are, it's a small community of 1,800 people, and yet a smaller group of believers that are in that community, and they're all just grieving tonight. So if you would just remember the Harvey family and um, the Heston family, I would certainly appreciate that. When I was dictating these, dictation did autocorrect, and uh, so Ashley's last name is misspelled. Please just bear with me on that and put a circle around it and spell it B-Y-R-N-E, but anyway. Uh, Dan and Lindsay have a baby boy, uh, James Daniel, born last night at 8.30. Mom and baby are doing well. But if you would be remembering them now in recovery. So. Any other prayer requests? Zoe asked us to pray for her mom who's traveling. So please remember her. Yes. Yes. And you leave on what day? Saturday. 
please be remembering them as they travel. Thanks for coming tonight. You know, we, we, we talk about a Bible study and prayer meeting, and prayer is really important. God can use the weakest if we let God do the work. And the strongest can't accomplish anything without him. May we never feel comfortable that this is about us. But we have great days ahead if we let God do cool stuff.